I'm AJ Bianco from Podcast PD, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows in the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to episode 93 of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast, your source for the latest Google for Education news, tips, tricks, and ideas you can use in class tomorrow. I'm Matt Miller from Ditch That Textbook. And I'm Casey Bell from Shake Up Learning. And guess what, Matt? What? <laughs> we hit 1 million downloads last Yay, week. Yay! It finally we happened! It. Woo! Yay! Thank you, Tribe, for listening and helping us reach this milestone. It yeah, happened it's... very quickly. You know, in episode 92, we were thinking, I think this is going to be the one, and it happened really quickly that mo- on Monday morning. So I was really excited and kind of shocked. I still think I'm just kind of in awe that that number yeah. is a reality. So, um, but yep. it's been so much fun and we've learned so much from all of you who have listened and shared and connected with us. And that's what makes the the tribe so great. So yes, in this episode, we are going to continue with part two of what we started in episode 92 on using Google tools in your professional development and in your training, something that Matt and I do Almost daily. So we've got a lot of tips to share. Of course, we've got some really cool news and updates, I think, today and some interesting feedback and mailbag questions from all of you. So, Matt, you ready to get going on 93? 93. Yes, let's do it. So to kick off our news and updates for this week, I want to tell you about something cool that's been added to Google Earth. And I was just telling Casey, you know, if I was still in the classroom teaching high school Spanish, this is something that I would grab onto super, super quick. So this one, it's it's a post called Follow the Journey of 13 Latino Trailblazers. And this is something that they've mixed into Google Earth. So what they've done is they've selected these 13 Latino trailblazers, you know, people from the Hispanic community that have made a difference. And they've charted different places around the world where you can go visit either through Google Maps Street View or through a photosphere or some kind of kind of like um, three dimensional virtual reality type of thing. And so we've got some examples like Celia Cruz, the great singer. We've got Roberto Clemente, the baseball player from the Pittsburgh Pirates. And they tell you about where they're from. They show you where they're from and where they lived. But then they also tell you about their impact, too. This is a really neat collection that they've got within Google Earth. So if you load this up, then you're able to click through all of these different trailblazers and see where they're from and actually kind of walk around and and get a feel for it. So this is yet another example of how you can really bring the world to your classroom through some of these 3D maps. Um, You know, it's the next best thing to actually going and visiting someplace is getting to see it like this. And whenever they curate a bunch of these places together in a list like this, it's it's super, super useful. So you definitely have to check this one out. 
I love it. I think that's great. I love the fact that they are also helping us learn about these Latino trail. I still can't say the word trailblazers. <laughs> I've had too much tea today, y'all. And that that's going to help us spread the news to our students and help encourage them and see that diversity in our classrooms as well. I'm going to switch gears and do something that is part of Google Arts and Culture. So we're going to get cultural, but we're also going to get a little opulent. Yay, Google Arts and Culture! Yay! Yay, Google Arts and Culture! Yay! Yay. In this one. So this is from the Keyword blog, and it's called Make the Palace of Versailles Yours on Google Arts and Culture. And the Palace of Versailles, I I think, is hands down one of the most opulent palaces that I've never seen in person, but I have seen online. In fact, I actually regret when I was in France that I didn't take the excursion to go see this, but now I don't have to. I can do it from the comfort of my home, thanks to Google Arts and Culture. And what they have done is they have collaborated with Google and they're building this entire history gallery of the exhibits in 3D. So you're going to be able to immerse yourself or your students, if you wish, in a new app that's called Versailles VR. And it's they're claiming it's a technological first in the cultural world to take visitors on a virtual reality tour of the Royal Grand Apartments, the chapel, and the opera. Uh, that alone is already feeling way above my pay grade. So (laughs) to capture this, they have, and it's extremely high definition, of course, I just looking at the images and the video they have online, you kind of just stop. I mean, it's just jaw dropping to see this and to see the amount of craftsmanship and artistry that has gone into the palace, but to be able to immerse ourselves in the VR experience. And even if, the Versailles Palace doesn't fit into your curriculum. I like what they're doing with this. I think this shows where we're going and how we will be able to explore other things in our classrooms in these types of experiences. We already can in some instances, but it's only growing and becoming a more robust resource. Uh, Google is making some changes to keep you um, to maintain your privacy and to keep you some secure. It's, uh, you know, little things that they've continued to do. I know Google has been under fire in the past about some of the ways that they handle data. Of course, a lot of the, you know, the big technology companies end up with that stuff. And, um, you know, hopefully all of our products end up a little bit better because of it. So here are some of the things that they're going to be doing. One of them is they're incorporating incognito mode in Google Maps. So whenever you use Google Chrome, for instance, you can switch on incognito mode and it, you know, it doesn't keep you logged into your um into your account and, uh, you know, doesn't take any of your location data or anything like that. Um, which is kind of nice if you want to see, you know, for me, for instance, I'll use incognito mode sometimes to, um, you know, see what it looks like if you're logged out or, you know, there's a wide variety of reasons you might use it. In fact, we've got a link in the show notes to a post that um, Casey published on the ShakeUp Learning blog about reasons to go incognito. So, um, 
You're going to be able to do that in Google Maps so that any of your searches and any of your directions and everything, you know, don't end up in your Google account. They're also expanding auto-delete on YouTube. So, um, you know, in the past, uh, you've been able to delete your location history and your web and your app activity. Now they've changed it to your YouTube history also. So you can set it so that it will keep your data for three months, for 18 months, um, and then automatically delete it, or you can just delete it manually whenever you want. So that's one that's coming in. There's also uh, an ability to control your privacy with your voice within the Google Assistant. Um, you know, we were just, Casey and I were just talking about how Apple has come under fire for how contractors were able to listen in to people's um, queries to Siri. And I'm guessing, you know, maybe in response to that, this is coming along too. And so you can ask, you know who the G O O G L E. <laughs> see, I'm trying not to trigger anybody's device here. See, see how I oh, do that, Jessa. Casey? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you can ask that certain person to um, delete all of your assistant activity. And so you can, it's as simple as asking, delete the last thing I said to you or delete everything I said to you last week. So they're making it really easy to do that. And then there's also, um, you know, there's there's also some stuff going on as far as your um, security. There's this tool like called Security Checkup that helps users by automatically detecting potential security issues to their Google account. So lots and lots of things that you can do to keep yourself safe and secure and maintain your privacy. And the next share that we have was actually released the same day. So I think this this was part of the package that Google was releasing that has to do with safety and security. And this one is about a tool called Password Checkup. And I hadn't looked at my password manager in Chrome in a while. And well, it just came out today. So I guess I shouldn't be complaining. But it is a checkup to help you see if you've got some weak passwords, how to fix them. The article actually states that one in four Americans use common passwords like ABC123 or password, you know, with the at symbol for at. Nobody does that, right? Nobody listening has a weak password, Mm -hmm. I am sure. Of course not. So, anyway, we have to fix these things because data breach has become a real issue. And I'm sure almost everyone listening has had their information breached in something, whether it was a Target credit card or whatever it was. I feel like I get those notifications all the time that it's just part of the world that we live in. But I love that Google is taking steps to help us. And we'll have this password checkup. So if you go into Chrome and you go to your password manager, which by the way, passwords.google.com is how you can get there. You'll see a new pop-up at the top that just says password check. Um, password checkup, I should say. And it will run a scan of all of your passwords. I'm a little afraid to do that on air. I think that might take (laughs) the rest of the episode for it to get through mine. But that's one thing that looks really awesome. And then at the end of the article, they also mentioned that coming soon, always on protection with Google Chrome. And so I didn't realize there's actually a Chrome extension that's called Password Checkup. I just installed it myself. And it will let you know if your username or password has been compromised in a third-party data breach. So I'm very curious to how 
you know, good this is going to be, but it would be great if I'm logging in to say, just like I said, my target account. And if targets had a breach, they're going to let me know. So I really like that there are trying to not only protect us, but help us make better decisions as well about our passwords. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's super important. I know, you know, for me, I've had a couple of minor security breaches where I needed to change it. And I realized, my goodness, my password just is not strong enough. And it happens, even if it has happened to you before it does happen to people um so yeah all all good things if you want to check up on any of those links and find out more you can head to our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 93 okay y'all we are going to jump into our featured content now and this is technically part two of a series that we started last week in episode 92, where we talked about several different things in terms of supporting staff development and professional learning with Google. And I shared some of my Google PD framework and Matt shared a lot of tips that really are best practices for professional learning. And today we're going to take a slightly different perspective and share with you some of the tips that we've learned on how to use Google tools in the professional development that we deliver, things that Matt and I do almost every day. So I'm going to kick things off and start with the idea of using Google Sites for workshops. So when I'm doing a conference presentation that's, you know, like a breakout session, 50 minutes, one hour, whatever it is, I typically just share the slides and I actually share the published slides, which I can talk a little bit later. But when I do a full-blown workshop, just sharing a slide deck doesn't quite cover everything that I'm getting into when I have a group for a full day or even multiple days. So I do use Google Sites when I deliver a workshop so that I can make it the one-stop shop for everything they need. So there's never a, where's that other thing you shared? Where's that link? Or what slide was that on? So that they have everything in one place. I usually organize it by day if it's multiple days so they can go to the day one page or sub pages and get all of that information. I do embed the slides right there on the page inside of Google Sites. And that's why Google Sites is so great because it works so well with all of the Google tools. And especially if I'm teaching Google, I'm also modeling then a use of Google Sites. I do also like to keep outside links in the menu. So if you didn't know this in your your menu, you can link to internal pages or actually have those links go to outside resources, which oftentimes I might be sending them out to my own blog or to ditch that textbook for a resource or getting different templates in Google Drive or wherever it is. So I want that one-stop shop for my participants. I try to make it as easy as possible. And when I kick things off and whether I, this is actually true if I'm doing a workshop or a breakout session, I give everybody one link. I call it the one link to rule them all. And if you think about that in terms of taking notes, I try to put everything in that one link so that they don't have to worry about taking copious notes and getting every link down. And everybody's taken like 20 million pictures of your slides, trying to remember everything, make it easy for your participants and create that one-stop shop and give them that one link 
to rule them yeah, all. I've, that's super important. And that's something that I've done as well. Um, I haven't used Google sites as much as I have my, my blog, my website. I usually set up a page on ditch that textbook.com, but I mean, there's no real difference between that and creating a Google site. And like you said, since sites work so well with all of the Google tools, you know, it's easy to pull in, uh, you know, a document or a slide presentation and just drop it in there. Um, it ends up being a really good way to model, just like you said. Plus, um, you know, when you've got those documents and other things put into your sites and they constantly update, um, you know, that's just, I mean, it's, it's a really, really great option for professional development. Um, you know, as far as giving people a place to, um, to kind of like interact with each other. I've found that Google Slides is a really good way to do that. Um, I know we've talked in the past about doing an idea called shared slides. You know, shared slides is where you make one Google Slide presentation. You set it so that anyone with the link can edit and you share it out with, you know, usually it's all of the students in your class. Well, if you're doing professional development, you can do the same thing with all of the teachers in your workshop or in your breakout session or whatever. Um, so I've seen this used a number of different ways. Um, it can be used for a single slide presentation. If everybody wants to check in and introduce themselves and you get to see everybody and who they are, um, then that becomes kind of like that one person's that that person's slide becomes that one person's home base for the whole day or the whole session. Um, there's another way to do it too. I learned this one from um, Alice Keeler. Um, I got to do a workshop right alongside her and um, she suggested that we create a slide presentation where everybody can have their own slides, but she set up the master slides. You know, the master slides are the ones under the plus button, the little drop down next to the plus button in the top left-hand corner. Um, they're kind of like the templates that are already set up. And so she set up different templates based on the different things we were going to be doing that day. So there was one template for an introduction, you know, where you would tell, you know, who you are, where you're from, what you do, uh, that kind of stuff. There was another template for your best tips and tricks. Um, there was another one for, you know, designing and creating lessons together and vice versa. Um, so not vice versa, so on and so forth. We'll use that instead. <laughs> and so, um, by by using <laughs> slides, yeah, that Not too, yada. that too. But by using slides as that great collaborative space, then all of a sudden, if you think about it, even if you just use that for sharing a tip, just have everybody in the group share a tip or share one of their best ways of using, you know, of teaching or of using Google tools or whatever. Then all of a sudden, you have crowdsourced all of these tips together. And then they have this really great resource that they can take back with them if they hang on to that link. So um, it's almost like, you know, taking ideas from everybody and making a book out of it and then giving everybody a copy of the book. That's that's really what it ends up being. And um, the nice thing about it is it means that everybody has contributed something to it. So it's not just the person leading professional development standing at the front talking at everybody. This is where everybody's contributed something. Everybody has a stake in it. And then they have this really nice resource whenever they leave. So um, surprise, surprise, we're talking about Google Slides again. That seems to be what we do here. Um, but that's that's another really neat way to use it in professional development. 
And as you were talking about that, you reminded me of one of Alice's templates and activities that I have used in that same way. And I added the link to our show notes, but it, I think she calls it get to know you by slides, but it explains those steps and how she changes the master. If you have no idea what we're talking about when we talk about the master in Google slides. So that will be in our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 93. But it's a great little icebreaker kind of activity, but it also helps them figure out some things in, in slides and learn those different features. So that's that's another thing that I like to do as well. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk about a strategy that I started using a long time ago, back when Google Docs was just <laughs> Google Docs. <laughs> there was nothing else. That's how old it was. <laughs> I I tell this story pretty <laughs> pretty frequently, but if if you haven't heard it before, I learned this technique from Alan November. And it's called collaborative note taking. And what happened was this was when I was w- working in Leander ISD and my team and I were at this conference in this huge ballroom. Alan November's getting ready to deliver a keynote. And before we get started, he asks, who has experience with Google Docs? And at that point, a lot of people didn't even know what it was. My team threw <laughs> me under the bus and said, she does. And so I got volunteered for something, which turned out to be taking notes for the hundreds of people who were in the ballroom. And so there were three or four of us who were each assigned a different thing to take notes on. One person was in charge of taking links. One was in charge of vocabulary. One was in charge of, you know, I forget what, whatever it is, strategies and things like that. But you can divide up those things among your students as well. And even if you don't want to divide up, the power of taking notes together cannot be oversold. First of all, Matt, if you and I are sitting in a a PD session together or even in a classroom setting together, we're both going to have different takeaways. And I might learn something new by the way you take notes and you might learn something new by the way I take notes and bring those together. So taking collaborative notes can be a really powerful strategy. And it's something that I definitely have done. I especially do it when I'm teaching how to use Google And it's one of the steps in my PD framework that oftentimes when I introduce them to docs, I create a table and they take notes in the table just to kind of give them their own space in the doc. But you can also do this in slides, similar to what Matt was talking about earlier, where everybody gets a slide. The other thing that I have done is when you have a team or a group going to a big conference, you can create a slide deck and everybody takes notes in one slide deck for the whole team. So if I'm going to one session, Matt's going to another session, we come back, we have everybody's notes for every session that we all went to in one place. So it can be really powerful. It uh, sounds like maybe um, you didn't get volunteered. I think you got voluntold. Well, there is that, but there's that thing that I do where I, I'm an early adopter and they all, they all knew it. So they're like, yeah, she yeah. does. And yeah. They, it was, it was a, it was a good group, but they, yeah, they, they did definitely yeah. all start pointing now, at me. You know, I think, um, these days it's so easy to look at something like that and we'll say, Oh, that's Google docs. Google docs been around forever. You know, collaborative note taking people have been doing that for a while. And it's not like, 
sexy and flashy and the new thing, but that doesn't mean that it's not effective anymore. And I think sometimes people will overlook those kinds of things because the ability has been out there forever. But in reality, it's still a good idea. In fact, whenever Casey and I record a new episode of the podcast, we do that exact same thing. We have a single Google Doc that we keep all of our show notes in. We build it together and then we know what we need to to talk about. And then we'll even drop things in. It's just like um, Casey said she dropped that link in about the first week activity with Google Slides. We did that on the fly. So, um, you know, it's it's still one of those things that's that's really, really useful. Another idea is that when it comes to professional development and using these Google tools, you don't have to do the professional development all on your own. That's the beauty of having video calls like Google Hangouts and Google Meet. Um, so many, many times I've done live video calls within my professional development. So sometimes what I'll do if I'm talking about using Skype and Google Hangouts and video calls, sometimes I will actually call a live class of um, students if I can get it. In fact, um, my friend Gina Ruffcorn, who teaches fifth grade in Iowa, um, she, she's the the one that I hit up on a pretty regular basis. And um, so we'll do a mystery Skype game together, I guess mystery hangouts also. Um, we'll do one of those with a professional development group. And then whenever the game is over, then we get to talk to Gina and talk to her students about what they get out of it and why they like it and that kind of thing. Um, and that's one of those um, one of those ways that you can make a new idea really real is by actually trying it like that. There's also been times where I've talked about a specific tool or a specific strategy, and I know somebody with really good experience with it. And I think I could ask them some questions and then try to relay it myself. Or I could even just try to, instead, I could just get them on a video call um, to, to talk with my um, participants. And so, you know, I wouldn't want to try to do that for like, you know, two hours of a six hour workshop, like the same person talking at them. Because, <laughs> you know, then you start to wonder, well, why did they bring you in? But in certain instances, if you can bring in an expert or, you know, the author of a book that they're reading or something, um, that's a neat way to amplify that regular professional development experience and um, get them connected with some some people that can really help them out. And I think you hit on a really important part right there is us modeling the strategies that we're actually talking about in the classroom. One of my pet peeves is getting the mm -hmm. sit and get and learning something that has nothing to do with sit and get. In fact, in one of my former school districts, I went to a small group instruction training. I will never forget. And oh, no. guess how it was taught? <laughs> Whole group. <laughs> so, you know, when we practice those strategies and model those, if you expect teachers to take the things that you're taking away, then we have to be willing to jump in and show them what they, that looks like, like you're doing with the Hangouts and the Mystery Skypes and things like that. But I also, I mean, for instance, when I teach about choice boards, now it depends on mm -hmm. how much time you have. Sometimes right. you just don't have enough time to do all of those things in a quick breakout. So keep that in mind before anybody starts calling me out. But, you know, I, I do a lot of training on choice boards and how to make them digital and interactive. And so when I do a workshop on that, guess what? You're going to learn about choice boards mm -hmm. by using a choice board. So keeping those things in mind as you design and plan, I think will be really, really useful. 
I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk about something that probably everybody's interested in, and that's using Google Classroom for professional learning. And there are a lot of great ways to make a use of this tool and help teachers understand what that student side looks like. That's really hard. Oftentimes, teachers don't have any access to see what it's like to be a student in Google Classroom. So number one, if you're teaching Google Classroom, yeah, you should be using Google Classroom to teach that. But there's a lot of other things that I have used and that I'm hearing from other teachers that they are doing in terms of staff development and professional learning when it comes to sharing that in a blended learning environment. So you might be doing it face-to-face. You might be doing it asynchronous where everybody's just logging in at a time that's convenient for them. Or you might have some sort of blended PD option that kind of brings both of those two worlds together. Now, I will tell you because, and Matt probably agrees, but because we are usually working with mixed groups unless we are going to one specific school. But most of the time, I've got people who are coming from several different schools in one workshop. So it makes it really difficult to get everybody logged in and have access and and all of that. So sometimes I don't really make use of Google Classroom as a tool in professional learning if it's less than a day or if the group is just too mixed and I don't know how much they have access to. Yes, you can use Google Classroom with a personal account. There's also a few more hoops to get through that people don't understand in terms of using that. So it involves a lot of back and forth and I don't want to lose that valuable instructional time. So I have to weigh that out. So if it's going to take me 30 minutes to get everybody logged into Google Classroom, and I'm not teaching Google Classroom, then that's probably not a good use of my time. So keep that in mind. I know a lot of schools are beginning to set up a class in Google Classroom for their staff, and they disseminate announcements and information. Sometimes they will facilitate book studies or offer other types of PD and assignments inside Google Classroom. And I'm hearing really great reports. In fact, I would love to hear from you if you are doing this and how it's working, how you're setting it up, how teachers are remembering to go check. Are they getting the alerts? Um, So that's, that's one of the things that's great about Google Classroom, but can also be really annoying. Sometimes there are too many alerts. And Just making sure that we're using it in that purposeful way, getting that experience as the student in Google Classroom, while we're also promoting the other things that are going on in our schools, communicating and collaborating together to work on other initiatives inside of Google Classroom. Yeah, I think that's that's super important. And I agree with you. Um, you know, if you have a, a whole group from an entire school district, it's a really powerful way to do professional development. Um, so yeah, yeah, lots of lots of options there. I've got one more for you real quick as we as we start to wrap things up. And that has to do with sort of a newer feature within Google Slides. And it's the idea of live closed captions. Um I just recently shared this on Twitter the other day, and this is one of those things I've heard about a number of times. So I guess I just sort of assumed that most people had heard about it, but, um, and I know we've talked about it on the show some, um, live closed captions is this cool feature where, um, once you start up a slide presentation, so imagine you're doing professional development and you've got some slides, or even if you don't have professional development and you can just put a single slide up there, it can be a blank white slide. It could be, you know, a logo or 
whatever, and you hit the close captions button and Google Slides will listen to your microphone and will transcribe what you say onto the screen at the bottom of the screen. And so this is really, really nice, especially since sometimes at professional development, it's hard to hear the speaker. Um, thankfully, a lot of places they do uh, give you a microphone if it's going to be more than, say, you know, 30 people or so. Um, by the way, a uh, little tip on professional development. If you have the opportunity to use a microphone, use a microphone. Just go use ahead and it. use it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> don't try to play the hero. Don't say I've got a, a teacher voice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Don't. Yeah, just don't do it because it's it's more than a decision just for yourself. It's a decision for everybody out there. And you don't know what kind of accessibility issues they have or how well they're going to be able to hear you. Uh, just use the microphone. But whether you're using one or not, Google Slides will transcribe as best as it can onto the screen everything that you're saying. So that gives your participants another opportunity to better understand what you're saying. Now, granted, with the Google Slides live closed captions, um, kind of like with YouTube automatic captions, if you've ever seen those before, or even if you've watched closed captions on the screen on TV, sometimes they just don't quite get it right. Um, you know, I shared this post on Twitter and had somebody come back and say that... Um, they, they didn't like it because it made too many mistakes and they found it distracting. Um, so there's kind of a balance between, you know, that and do we want to at least put it up there because most of the time it's right and most of the time it's going to be helpful. And I would err on that side that, um, you know, especially if there are people in your audience that are a little farther away from you or that might have hearing issues, it's just as easy as clicking the button and turning it on. And then they've got that, that resource there. So, um, you know, that's, that's yet another tool available to us when we do professional development is to turn those live closed captions on. And that's really a fantastic feature for the classroom as well. I know we've talked about it before, but I love that we have that. And we also have a couple of new features in slides that may be worth mentioning at this point. And I'm trying to remember because this was in PowerPoint and it's now in slides. But I believe if you hit W while you're presenting, the slide will go white. So you can also use that to get attention or like Matt said, if you're doing those closed captions and I'm totally doing this on the fly, I didn't look it up, but it might, I can't remember if it's B for black, but you can do black and white. I know that B definitely does work. I'm not sure about the W, but I know exactly what you're talking about. I know the B one does. So, but those are some great ways that you can engage with your participants. You know, we want them engaged in student-centered learning right? That's what we want in our classroom. So those are the types of things that we want in our professional learning experiences for our teachers as well. And I know many people who listen to this podcast are in that role. And of course, we've got lots of other resources. I did include a link in the show notes to some of my Google certified trainer resources. So if you really want to pursue that path. I've got some free resources for you, but all of this will be in our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 93. There's a letter in your mailbox. Hey, you know what? This is all your mail. Hey, maybe I'll give you a call sometime. You've got mail. All right, Tribe, it's mailbag time. And we have a voice message from Melissa Burns. She's a fourth grade teacher in Clinton, South Carolina, and she's got a Google Slides related question. So go ahead, Melissa. Hi, Matt and Casey. My name is Melissa and I teach fourth grade 
in Clinton, South Carolina. And y'all are the first podcast I've listened to. And y'all add so much to my um, lessons. And yes, I'm adding in some natural y'alls from the South. But my question is, I want to do a interactive notebook, a digital interactive notebook using Google Slides. And I'm trying to figure out how to add additional slides after I assign the initial Google Slides to my students. Um, hopefully you can help me with this problem and y'all keep on doing what you're doing. Ah, yes. This is one of those big questions when it comes to especially using Google Classroom. You've made a copy for all of your students. They all already have it and you want to add something else to it. How do you do it? So I think there's a couple of different ways to do this. In this case, Melissa's wanting to do these digital interactive notebooks. I wrote a whole post about this, about making interactive notebooks with Google Slides. Um, there's a link in the show notes. And um, basically, you've got this slide deck that is kind of mirroring a composition notebook or a, you know, a traditional notebook. And it's got some of those templates that you might want to duplicate and reuse. And so what if you come up with a new template that you want to give your students, but they already have their slide presentations or their, you know, digital interactive notebooks. So there's a couple of ways to do this. Um, probably the easiest way that I can think of is that if you create an announcement in Google Classroom, you make a new slide presentation that is the exact same dimensions as your uh, interactive notebooks that your students have. Just make one of those. You can even make it anyone with the link can view so they don't um, move things around on it or accidentally delete the slide. And then just have them open that up. You know, So they'll go to that announcement. They'll open up that slide presentation. And then they can click on the slide. So just click on the little thumbnail um, over on the side and copy it go over into their interactive notebooks and just paste it. So that's probably the easiest way I can think of. If for some reason that doesn't work, they can always highlight all of the items on the slide, jump over into their uh, interactive notebooks and create a new slide and just paste all that stuff in. And because your um, dimensions of your slides are the same in both of them, it should paste right in and they shouldn't have to do any resizing. So those are two quick and easy ways that I think that you can take something in a student slide deck that's already been shared out with them. And if you want to add that extra slide, those are a couple of ways you can do that pretty easily. Yeah. I wish it was easier to push out changes after you've already made those copies, but I kind of understand the back end of, of how that, that works, but copy and paste is still a great skill, right? <laughs> how many times have I already used that today? So really good, just practice for those kiddos. We have another mailbag uh, entry, I guess I should say, that we want to share. We're, did you jump into the mailbag today? I forgot. You didn't jump in. I didn't. No, no. I, I <laughs> eased into the mailbag. It's like we getting into the pool into and the you don't want to get too cold. You know? Yeah. You just like slowly slide into <laughs> the mailbag. That's what I did. Well, our our next mailbag item is from Michelle Coper. She is from Wisconsin, and it's more of a comment than a question. And so I'm just going to read this because it's pretty hilarious to me. I love listening to your podcast every week. I've gotten so many ideas that I've been able to share with staff. After listening to your PD tips, which I completely agree with, especially the problem solution topic, 
I just couldn't resist emailing him about the meatloaf comparison. And so she is <laughs> suggesting instead of meatloaf, I'd like to think of it as a smoothie that I'm able to throw some greens into. So thought I'd pass it along for more appetizing visual. So uh, Matt, you want to explain what meatloaf is in case anybody didn't listen to episode 92, which you should have, but in case. Which you should have. Yeah, yeah. Just in case you didn't. I I was talking about how professional development can kind of be like meatloaf. Like, you know, whenever we serve meatloaf at at our house, you know, our our kids and our family, we like it and we know how it's going to taste. Um, but if we want to make it a little bit more nutritious, you can grind up some cauliflower or broccoli and mix it in. And as long as it doesn't change the taste, then it's a little more nutritious and you're still getting what you want. And I thought professional development could be kind of like that. Give them what they want, but sneak a little bit of nutrition in there. And, um, sneak in those veggies. Yes. And, and I was yeah. talking about the that we have to eat our veggies PD as well. But then we, we got off track because I don't even like meatloaf. And so that was not something that was <laughs> yeah. appealing to me. And then, Michelle, yeah. I have to confess, in my silly mood today, I'm reading this and I glanced at it and I thought you were talking about a meatloaf smoothie, which really just <laughs> into a, a really gross direction. So I'll I'll be thinking about a meatloaf smoothie all day and maybe lose my appetite. Oh my but goodness. thank you so much yeah. for uh, joining in on the laughter. We do like to have fun here on the Google Teacher Tribe. But if you would like access to any of these things that we've been discussing in the mailbag, they will be in our show notes at googleteacherchribe.com slash 93. You know what could really help you sort through these important issues? What? Orange mocha frappuccino! All right, tribe. So hopefully you've got some stuff you can use this week. We've been talking about some of these professional development ideas ways to use Google tools. So if you do some professional development, hopefully you've got something new you can use. You know, we always strive to bring you those practical ideas that you can start using in class tomorrow. So we're so excited to reach a million downloads right along with all of you, because I know Casey and I really, really believe that this whole Google Teacher Tribe thing is about all of us together. Thank you again for listening to the show and for for being so loyal to it. And I think that might be why we were extra silly today. So please forgive us. I think we're just really <laughs> excited to hit hit one million. Yes, absolutely. So we will see you on the next episode of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Keep up with every new episode by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, and by visiting googleteachertribe.com. Get in on the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag GTTribe. Until next time, keep harnessing the G Suite power, and may the Googles be with you. He is. He's like the voice assistant that's just like listening to us and we yeah. just forget. That's right. I'm going to start saying, okay, Nessie. <laughs> <laughs> and see, see what we get out of it. <laughs>
That's kind of what we do. You know, whenever we record the episode, we talk to Chris. I think if we need to say something to Chris in the future, we need to start saying, okay, Nessie. Yeah, we need a summit. Hey, Nessie. Hey, Mr. Nessie. Hey, Mr. Yeah. Mr. N. That's right. All right. Well, I can just see like a little Mr. Nessie bobblehead sitting on my desk that just Mm -hmm. quietly listens. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And then whenever it's triggered, its little mouth opens up like a nutcracker. (laughs) When it talks back to us, the little mouth moves. Mm. Oh my goodness! Oh, you Chris. can tell it's late We're, in the we've afternoon. Got this, we got a yeah, we got a silly thing going on today. Yeah. I'm I, I've got this brain fog. I think that was making me kind of goofy. Mm-hmm. You need to go to Starbucks and cut through the fog. I love it, and I love the fact that they are promoting those Latino trail braids. Uh, uh, sorry, Chris. I told you I'm going to have trouble hey, today. Nancy, delete that last <laughs> statement. Start that all over. <laughs> Hola, Nessie. That's right. That's right. That fits for this section. I like it. <laughs> oh, maybe I should be speaking in French since I'm about to talk about Versailles. There you right? go. Okay. <laughs>